Holy Spirit, Lord, I thank you for the preparation that you've already done in Jonathan's heart, Lord. Father, and I know that he will flow in you and through you, Lord Jesus, as he delivers your word this evening. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ben. Bless him. Okay. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be here in Solihull. And uh, especially after being last night in windy, cold Liverpool, uh, preaching in a tent. Can you believe they were doing a tent mission? Uh, you know, last night up in Liverpool, that's where I've just come from. So um, I don't live there. My wife and I uh, live in um, South Lincolnshire. But, uh, you know, I drove up there yesterday up to Liverpool, um, where they just over the weekend have done this, done this thing. But... Um, Anyway, it was a bit of a wild time. It's one of the poorest areas in the whole of Europe. Uh, and so quite a, quite a place, all kinds of things going on. And, um, you know, so it wasn't a nice ordered meeting like this. So you all look so well behaved. Here in Solihull. I mean, <laughs> there were kids running around everywhere and it was just, it was just wild, you know. But, um, you know, please don't arrange anything like that. But, you know, but, but anyway, that's the way it was. And sometimes that's the way it can be in evangelism. You know, as an evangelist, I'm involved in all kinds of settings and preaching the gospel uh, in, in many different situations. Sometimes it's been to large crowds. I think the largest ever was 300,000 in one setting. Uh, and, and, you know, and yet other times you can be literally sitting on a corner with a homeless man. Um, I've had the joy of leading some government leaders to the Lord, mafia men to Christ, Islamic terrorists to Christ, um, you know, drugs dealers, and, and then the good ordinary folks of you know, Solihull and places like that. You know, can I just say that the reality is that, of course, the great needs of every human heart are the same. Wherever you go and whatever people's background and, and wherever they are, whatever their social economic status, their educational level, whatever it is, the reality is, is the essential needs of every human being are the same. Every human being needs to know that they are loved. They need, to re- they need to receive that love and be able to love in return. They need to know forgiveness and peace with God. And to know that there is a purpose for living that stretches beyond the kind of nine to five of, of daily life. And thank God that we can all have that in a personal relationship with Christ. And so it's been, um, for those of you who, um, who don't know me, just a... <coughs> Let me just give you a little bit of a, of a pricey of my life to this point, and then I have a word I want to share with you and encourage you in the cause of evangelism and, uh, and to stir your hearts, you know, in all of that. Um, you know, I, uh, I didn't start off doing the kind of things that we were doing last night. Incidentally, about 50 people came to the Lord between last night and this morning. That was brilliant. Um, and there's some wonderful healings. Uh, that Jesus did as well. I've actually kind of come to you via Argentina, <laughs> uh, Romania and Germany and Liverpool uh, with a couple of days off in between. Um, so it's been go, go, go. And uh, the Lord's been doing some most amazing things. Uh, the hunger in Argentina, can I just say, if I tell you a bit about myself, um, the hunger in Argentina is still phenomenal. After 30 years of revival, uh, in the heat of the revival, 30,000 people a day were coming to Christ. Um, one of the guys that we partner with over there, um, Carlos Anacondia, one in every four of those people were coming to Christ under his ministry. Amazing, amazing miracles, amazing hunger for God 
um, in the first place that we went to, uh, a place called Santiago del Estero, uh, where we were there. They asked me because the local press got to hear about it all uh, in this city, and they said, would you come and go onto the streets and pray for the sick so we can film you and then put it on the primetime news? Well, I thought, well, that's, you know, it's nice to have some good news, isn't it, on the, on the press. So uh, I went out to the local park and uh, with some of these guys filming. They said, we only need 20 minutes or so, and it wasn't my message preparation time, so I thought I'll just go for 20 minutes. But as I walked out into the park, I saw a gentleman, first man I saw coming towards me with his family, had had a car accident, seriously damaged his, uh, his ankle, his feet, his, you know, Achilles, all this stuff, um, and couldn't walk um, freely at all, in lots of pain, uh, and he was on crutches. So anyway, initially I just walked past him, but you know how you get an inner tug, one of the things we have to learn in evangelism, and in the whole of life, in what the, the New Testament describes a believer in Christ's position as being in Christ, but describes our lifestyle as walking in the Spirit. And so we have to learn to be sensitive to those inner tugs and promptings of the Holy Spirit. So as I passed by him, I kind of got this gentle tug on the inside. So I went about 10 more steps and then stopped and said to my interpreter, Need to pray for that guy. Come on. So we went back, and I tapped him on the shoulder, and uh, and I said, "Sir, I said, lovely to see you here." You know, with a bit of interpretation, and and I said, "Look, we're just out here telling people how much God loves them, and uh, and offering prayer. And we know that nothing's impossible with God. You've obviously hurt yourself or something. Um, could we pray for you? Would you be open to that?" Uh, he was very grateful. And so we prayed for him. In all honesty, I prayed for him three or four times for his healing. Uh, I, I feel Jesus prayed for a blind man twice, so I can get away with three or four. And so, so I prayed for him three or four times. By the end of it, he drops his crutches and walks around freely, totally healed. And, uh, you know, and then I thought, you know, while I was praying for him, a crowd of people gathered around, you know, to watch what was going on. So, and that, of course, is exactly what you want in evangelism. So then uh, I put my arm around him and I just said to everybody, listen, the Jesus who's just healed this man is here right now. He's Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so he's here and he loves you too. And he wants you to know him. And that's possible because, and I shared the gospel, 15 of them gave their lives to Christ. Uh, and, and then, even though, I, I was supposed to be there just for 20 minutes. Suddenly, I ended up with a crowd of people who had gathered around who started just to queue up wanting to be prayed for. And so the next thing I knew, I was there for two and a half hours praying for one after another after another, you know, giving their lives to Christ, you know, weeping in tears, getting delivered from the demonic, getting healed. And oh, man. This is, this is something else. Some of the team, you know, you haven't had a chance to meet our team yet, but they're all, they're all go-getters. I mean, some of the team went into another area, and when they went to the area, they said to the local pastor, you know, what are your biggest challenges around here? They said, well, their biggest challenges here are witchcraft. And the head witch in the region, she lives just opposite. You know, her house is opposite the church. So the guy said, which, one, which house? And they said, that one over there. I said, come on, we're going. And so they went there and they went there and they knocked on the door. So anyway, the witch turns up together with her husband and her daughter at that moment. And they start talking to her about the love of Christ. And as they start sharing with her that no matter what she's done, and she says, you know who I am, I'm the witch. Said, yeah, we know and he loves you anyway. And uh, we start just sharing with them and um, just bold in who they are in Christ and taking their place. Uh, the Lord gave them words of knowledge for her about her life. She starts breaking down in tears. Within moments, they are leading her, her husband, and their daughter all to Christ. Fantastic. Just wonderful. That's our Jesus. Amen. So uh, 
just great. And then, and then a couple of the guys, Wayne is one of our guys. In fact, Wayne, I've left him behind in Liverpool to go and minister to a, um, an outreach that's going on for the sex workers and the, um, the drugs dealers and some of the, some of the gangs. And since he comes from the background of, of drugs dealing and everything, got gloriously saved by Jesus, he's just ideal for sharing with them. So he's up there. We just pray, Lord, use him mightily while we're here. So thing is, is so, so Wayne and, and Luis is another one of our team. He's an Argentinian um, who moved to this country a number of years ago, got saved here. And it's fantastic because he's fluent with the language. But the guys just got to hear of the roughest part of the city where there's regular killings and the pastors don't go there because they say it's so dangerous. And uh, Wayne just feels a calling to those sort of areas. So he just said to me, he said, John, you know, he said, uh, will you just release me to go there? I want to I wanna go there and reach these people. I said, look, Wayne, you've got nothing to prove, and, and I've got an answer to your wife. So, uh, so I just want to say this to you. You know, with Jesus, when he knew that they wanted to kill him and it wasn't his time, he just went to a different area. But when it was time to go to the cross, he set his face like flint. So what I'm asking you right now is, do you have peace to go? As long as you have peace to go, you know that it's right. You have my full support. If you don't have peace, I'm not sending you. So he said, John, I just feel total peace about this. I said, great, you have my 100% support. So we sent them in, and they went to this rough area. I mean, there's, there's just guns everywhere. I mean, it's just that sort of a place. But that morning, they led 15 families to Christ. And every single one, from just from door to door to door, one after another, getting healed, delivered, saved for all the Holy Spirit. I just, this is our wonderful Jesus. Isn't it great? So anyway, so we're just back from there, and, um, and it's, just, uh, it's just a privilege, and a privilege to be here. Um, how, many of you, uh, uh, how many of us have, have known each other or known of each other for a number of years? I've known of Solihull Christian Fellowship for many years, and uh, you know, I've been, um, some of you may have known me from my years with Don Double. I, uh, I trained with Don for seven years, and was his worship leader as well as a, an evangelist, and um, but it's not where I grew up. I started as, a, uh, you know, the son of a pastor. Uh, my dad was a pastor and, uh, and also a businessman. And um, so I was, I was born into a Christian family. And thank God, it, you know, thank God for praying parents. I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was four. My mom led all three of us to Christ. I'm a middle child. Um, and and I, I knew I needed Jesus in my heart, and I asked him to come in at the age of four. My dad said to me in later years, it took a long time for salvation to manifest. <laughs> but despite the fact, I, I knew that the Lord came into my heart when I was four. And, uh, and then really about the age of nine, we were a Baptist family. And at the age of nine, everything changed when my mum, who is Irish, uh, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, my dad couldn't quite understand what she was so excited about. At that time, he was working for Price Waterhouse in, in, uh, in London as a chartered accountant and a good Baptist man. He loved Jesus, but um, couldn't understand this hunger for more than basic Bible study and prayer. And, um, and then uh, she said, but you don't understand, Jesus is so wonderful. She's going to alter these house meetings where the Holy Spirit's being poured out and people are being healed and delivered and the gifts of the Spirit are flowing. Uh, it wasn't too much longer. My dad got baptized in the Spirit in a meeting down in Chard. Any of you know of Chard in Somerset? And our family was powerfully impacted by the move of God down in Chard, where a quarter of a million people went through a hall that's half the size of this in one year because of the outpouring of the Spirit in that place. So I grew up in that move of God. And, um, uh, you know, my dad, my conservative father, 
you know, who actually in those days were still going to work with the top hat. You remember those things? And, and a three-piece suit into London. You know, my conservative dad, fairly unemotional and everything else, stood on a chair and shouted and sang in tongues for three hours. <laughs> Incredible. And when he came back, the Baptist wanted to know what had happened to him. And, uh, and we were promptly asked to, you know, to find somewhere else to fellowship. So... Anyway, that led to the forming of a new church that planted out several other churches, and I, I grew up in all of that. Um, got baptized in the Spirit when I was nine, and baptized in water when I was 12. When I was 15, just turned 15, I heard a preacher say these words that are very basic, very fundamental, but powerfully life-changing. You are who God says you are. You're not what your history says you are. You're not what your social position is or what your economic status is or your education is. You are who God says you are. And you can do what God says you can do. Now that simple statement changed my life. I began to relate to myself more to who I am in Christ than my natural temperament and personality. I didn't know what an evangelist was. I was 15 years old. I just started to get more into the Bible at the age of 15. Um, I dipped in and out of it growing up, but not really been seriously getting into it. By the age of 15, I started to develop a deep hunger that I can only put down as, as God, a deep hunger for the Word of God. And I began to read it and read it and read it. Anything on revival and miracles and everything, I just was consuming it. And, um, you know, I came across two scriptures that changed my life. One was found in Mark 10 and the other in Mark 16. Mark 10 says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. Up to that time, I was everybody's friend <laughs> at school. You know, everybody liked me. I got on with everybody. But I suddenly realized I couldn't be a secret Christian anymore. I, you know, thought if I'm actually a Christian, I've got to nail my colors to the mast. And what I was doing, I would just basically, I had my Sunday life. You know, I had my church life and I had my school life. Some people have got their church life and their work life. They've never grown out of that. <laughs> it just carried on into work. And so I realized, hey, hang on. If I want Jesus to confess me before people, before the Father, I've got to confess him before people. And so that changed everything. And, and then I read in Mark 16 that he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And you know, and these signs will follow those who believe. And the reality is that, as I say, I had no idea what an evangelist was, but I just read that. I thought, oh, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. And, uh, and, and no one in my church was doing it. I mean, we were, it was a fantastic church, glorious praise and worship, gifts of the Spirit flowing, the power of God would come like a wind sometimes in the meetings, pick people off the chair and lay them out under the power of God for two hours. Nobody would touch them. You know, that were glorious meetings, all right. We were just into getting higher and higher and higher, but we weren't going anywhere out there making any difference. And actually, we need to be going higher and going broader. So the thing is, too many of us spend all of our time up in the mountains, but we're not making any change in the valleys. Or we go into the valleys, but we have no power for change because we don't go up to the mountains. We need to meet with our Father who is in the secret place and then go out from there and see Him reward us openly with miracles and change lives. Well, I thought I would start sharing the gospel on the trains because it was, the, it was just a captive audience. So, so I just started offering prayer on the trains as a 15-year-old. 
And I would watch the businessmen or business ladies coming back, you know, holding their head from a rough day. And I used to go to school every day by train. And when they would hold their head and they had a headache or they were stressed out, I would say, you have a headache? They said, yeah, oh, a rough day. I said, look, I've got an amazing cure for that. And I said, what's that? Well, look, the Bible says that if I pray for you in Jesus' name, you'll be healed. See, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And those were the words of Jesus Christ. So, look, you know, why don't you let me pray for you? And they would look at me a bit odd, you know, over their financial times. And then and, and, and say to me, listen, you know, just forget about all this. You know, And I said, listen, you've got nothing to lose but your headache. Why don't you let me pray for you? And I said, look, all right, if it makes your day. I said, it certainly does. Let me so, so I said, it might make yours. So, so, you know, and then I would pray for them and they'd get healed. Well, they would be shocked. Well, when they got healed, then I would say, look, I want to, pray, I want to pray for you now for an even bigger miracle. I said, we've all sinned. We all need forgiveness. And that's why Jesus died on a cross. And so then I would share with them about the gospel and say, is there any good reason why you couldn't give your life to Jesus right now? And they look, and I said, well, I guess there isn't. I said, great, we'll bow your head and close your eyes. Let's do it. And I would pray and lead them to Jesus. Well, about a year on from all of this, Ian Andrews, who some of you may have known, Ian and a great healing ministry, and my dad was, still is one of his trustees. Um, Ian came by and, uh, in the home, as he quite regularly did in those days, and he just was hearing some of the stuff I was getting up to as a kid. And in a school of 450 boys, my brother and I led about 100 of them to Jesus. And, um, and, you know, he said, John, you're an evangelist. I said, really? I said, what's one of them? <laughs> you know, I had no idea what that was. I said, I'm just trying to be obedient to what I read in the Bible. And I find out that it works. And it does. <laughs> so, to make a long story short, in my first year of A-levels, they got us all in a hall about this size, and they said, those of you who are going to uh, business or employment of some nature, you go to that side. Those of you who are going into university or, or polytechnic, as it was in those days, go on to that side. And I was left standing in the middle with this sense of God's call on my life, but not quite sure how to place it. And um, my teacher bellowed down at me, and in, in my school, they never called you by your first name. And he just said, uh, Conrath, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to preach the gospel, sir. He said, you're going to what? <laughs> I said, I'm going to preach the gospel. I never forgot his response. He said, I think you need to come to the careers advice office. <laughs> you know. And uh, Anyway, I duly was taken off to the careers office. I fed in all my details to a computer that gave me its ideas for my life. And, uh, and then I just said to him, look, I do thank you, sir, for all your time. I don't mean to be arrogant or anything. I said, but I really do believe Jesus is calling me to preach. And so um, he said, well, look, you think about it overnight and I'll see you in the morning. And I said, okay. Well, that night, before going to sleep, I got down on my knees. I said, Jesus, I don't want to seem to be arrogant to this guy. He's trying to help me. But Lord, would you speak to me in a way that's unmistakably clear? This is a big decision. And I need to know. I really didn't expect to happen what happened. But as my head hit the pillow, I was in a vision. And I was in a vision that I saw as clear as I see you. And I was standing at the foot of the cross. And I saw Jesus on the cross. And I'm thinking to myself, he's, why is he on the cross? He's, he's not on the cross. He's, he's risen. He's alive. Why is he on the cross? He's just making a point to me. He keeps looking down at me saying, healing and salvation must be preached from my cross. Healing and salvation must be preached from my cross. 
What seemed like halfway through the night, the vision changed. I'm standing face to face to the Lord, with the Lord and the cross is to our side. And he looks at me and says, now look and see who's on the cross. I turned, I looked, I saw myself. I woke up, it was morning. I couldn't talk for 40 minutes, prolapsed by this encounter with Jesus. I could feel, although I couldn't see imprints on my hands and my feet. And my mother came in, very prayerful lady. She took one look at me and said to me, you've met with God and turned around and walked out again. To this day, I've never asked what she saw. But I woke up knowing two things. And that was that, number one, Jesus had called me to preach the gospel, the whole gospel, uh, including healing and deliverance and, and all that is part and parcel of the gospel. But also, secondly, there was a price to pay, and whatever that is in the long term, I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that in the immediate, that meant I couldn't take on um, the family business. I had to turn my back on all of that, uh, and instead of that, live by faith. And that's what I have done for 32 years. And it's been 32 years and 52 countries. I've had the privilege so far to lead around a quarter of a million people to Jesus. Um, and see about 600 churches started. Uh, lots of miracles have happened. We've seen the dead raised five times. Um, and, and Jesus doing many, many other wonderful things. I do want to stress it's the Lord. Because without him, we, we genuinely can do nothing. Um, but thank God we're not without him. He's with us. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, I could tell you many stories about that, of Jesus appearing in particular meetings and things like that. And at one time, while crossing the Andes in a seven-seater plane where there were only six of us, and the plane was, nearly went out of control and the pilot lost control, and uh, we nearly lost our lives. But we, by the grace of God, finally landed safely once the storm was all through, and the pilot kept counting out looking very bemused, and finally said to us, where is the seventh man? I said, and what do you mean, where is the seventh man? He said, you know, he said, up in the storm when I lost control of the plane and I shouted to you all to make sure you're, you're belted in. I said, yes. He said, when I turned around, there was another man in the plane. Where is the, where is the seventh man? All I, I just said to him, sir, I don't know what else to say to you, but listen, we're missionaries. And Jesus Christ said this. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you know, Jesus is not just out in the Andes somewhere. He's not just out in Argentina or Africa or China or whatever it is. But actually, he's right here in Solihull. He's here tonight in Solihull Christian Fellowship. And nothing's impossible with him. He loves people. He loves you. He is a God of miracles. And he is in the business of changing lives. And so it's a great privilege to be here with you tonight and to share with you something of the love of God, something of His call upon all of us as believers, and may I say all of us as believers, to reach the world for Christ. The book of Acts actually tells us, in Acts 26, it tells us actually that even the boundaries of our dwellings and the times of our lives were determined by God. And that means that where you live and where you work, and even where you go to church, actually, biblically, according to 1 Corinthians 12 as well, all of that has been ordained by God. The seasons of your life were ordained by God. So actually where you are, God has intended that you would take root and that you would bear fruit. 
It's more than just a socioeconomic decision. It's more than just the fact you like that road and you, and you like that house and you particularly like that kind of job. But actually, behind it all, God has a plan. And His plan is that right where you are, you would radiate the life of Jesus to your world. That you would breathe the expression of Christ's life in that place. And you would take the opportunity to introduce others to Jesus. Amen? So... You're looking at a guy, incidentally, that it's quite a miracle that I'm standing before you. Between the age of nine to about 15, my, um, my mother went through a major physical and mental breakdown. Most of my memories of my mother, and I was a middle child, it deeply affected me. Most of my memories were of her in a darkened room or being taken to hospital or in a wheelchair. And the doctors say that, say that she may not live. Um, if she does, she'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. Uh, I had many, many bad dreams of all of that. Dad was busy as ever running 13 offices in property in the southeast and running a church and planting two others. Uh, you know, he's a remarkable man, um, man of God. But in the midst of all of that, you know, I just kind of got lost in the, in the middle of all of that. Um, I was at a school that was an all-boys school, um, very, very hard teachers. It was an old kind of stiff upper lip British kind of approach. And, uh, and they would shout you down in front of the whole class till the whole class laughed at you and you burst into tears. And so I would feel my heart pounding in my chest like it was going to come out. And if I stood in front of people, I would just go red. My lip would quiver. I would go silent and sit down. So the fact that I stand before you today with total peace and with joy and freedom is the grace of God. I share all of that with you because maybe some of you feel, well, you know, sharing Jesus with my friends, sharing Jesus with my neighbor, sharing Jesus with my workmates, or even out on the streets. Man, this is all just a, a thing a bit too far for me. Well, it certainly felt that way for me at one time in my life. But it doesn't have to stay that way. And you don't have to be the same as somebody else. God has made you uniquely you, but he wants to take you and use you to do amazing things in other people's lives. He's just looking for you. Remarkably, that the God of heaven is looking for your permission and saying, will you let me use you to change someone else's life? People are not saved by osmosis. They have to hear the gospel in order to be saved. Let me pray, and then let's share the word together. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence with us. We thank you that you love every one of us tonight. And we thank you, Father God, that you have ordained, Lord, that we would be here tonight, that we would hear your word. Father, I pray today that you would dispel fear, that you would dispel, Father God, any, any sense of inadequacy or not meeting up with the with the level of where we should be. But Father, I pray that there will be huge encouragement that will come into every life tonight. I pray that faith will be imparted to every heart and that lives tonight will be changed. There will be a renewal of mind, a restoration of soul. I pray even, Lord, that tonight that you would heal people. I pray that tonight if there's anybody here who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, or maybe anybody who perhaps has not been walking in, in the place with you where they know they should be, that, Lord, I pray that they would come back to you. Father, we're putting both feet soundly in the kingdom. We thank you, Father, for it, and we welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
Well, we're going to turn to the Word of God. If you've got a Bible, you can turn uh, with me, please, to John chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. And I just want to share that with you for you to get ready. It's not where we're starting, but just for you to get ready. And so if you've got a hard copy, you can turn there. If it's on your phone, you can flick there. And if you haven't got either, just listen in. I want to just share with you really a word to encourage you. I'm going to call this message Evangelism 101. Okay, as far as I understand, we're, the plan is to kind of wrap up this meeting by 8 o'clock. Am I right, Ben? And there's room for prayer. Okay, that's a dangerous thing to say to an evangelist. But anyway, here we are. That's okay, right. Evangelism 101. Okay, I'm just going to do my best just to get this over to you in as, as quickly as I can without losing the, the power of it. Because these things are really important. I want to begin, actually, by not, not um, giving you a scripture right now. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to give to you some very recent research that the Anglican Church, God bless them, paid for last year here in our country that may be a bit of an eye-opener to you. Justin Welby had the... The thought that, and I believe it was a God thought, that the greater majority of Christians in our country across all denominations believe the rhetoric of the BBC more than they believe the reality of where people's attitudes towards God and Christianity are truly at in our country. I can tell you from experience now, I've been full-time for 32 years and been doing missions for many, many years in the United Kingdom. I have always found, as a general rule, no matter what's been going on in the church, irrespective of Toronto blessing, outpouring, seeker-friendly, Pentecostal, whatever you are and whatever you've been through, it's not made any difference, to be honest, for, for out there. Can I just say, if you judge people's hunger for God based on what comes through that door, you will always be wrong. So can I just say that for a moment? So I'm not a pastor. I'm talking to you about uh, from the basis of someone who spends a lot of his time out there. So I just want to tell you this. this. The Christian view of the world's view of Christ is almost inevitably always wrong. Okay? Please don't be offended. I'm just telling you that's the truth. So the greater majority of people out there are a whole load more open to Jesus than you think they are. So here are some things that basically Justin Welby decided that the Anglican Church would employ the Barna Research Group, a very reputable research group for surveys, to do a standard survey, which on average is 2,000 people. And all of these are people who self-identified as being agnostic or atheistic or just basically not Christian. And uh, they were at various levels of openness or, or closeness to the gospel, but they all had to self-identify as being people who were not Christians. So anyway, they did this over 2,000 people, and they were to ask them two questions. This is very recent, very much, it's only last year. So the two questions are this. The first question was, if you were, and these are very, very significant questions. I want you just to think about the questions for a moment, because they were well chosen. The first question is, if you were warmly, respectfully invited to church, would you come? That was the first question. The second question is a bit stronger. The second question is this. If you were given a clear, 
unambiguous presentation of the gospel and the opportunity to become a Christian, would you do so? It was not a seeker-friendly, mushy, slightly, you know, we don't want to put you off, so we're not going to challenge you, presentation of the gospel. It was a direct, clear, unambiguous presentation with a clear opportunity to give your life to Christ. Would you do so? That's important. All right? The church so often gets it wrong with this thing of love. My brother, just on another side, but just to underline the same principle, is one of the top lawyers in this country. See, he goes in and out with number 10 sometimes. He's giving advice sometimes to House of Lords and people like this. So he tells me this, for example. If churches and church leaders fudge the LGBT homosexual issue by saying, oh, we just, just love everybody and it doesn't really matter how you live. He says, they will walk all over the church and will quite often end up in court because they will quickly discover that you don't really believe what you're saying because your true convictions are Bible, but you're trying to smudge this thing to be acceptable to the world. He says, if you do that, you'll end up in court and you'll be totally stripped down. But if you say the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, an LGBT lifestyle is, is not acceptable to a Christian or to the church, he says that position is upheld at the highest levels in the, in the greatest court in this country, the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom, which is even higher than going to the House of Lords. So let me just say this to you. They uphold in case after case after case when churches and Christians make a clear, distinct line that is sin based on what the Bible says. But where they say, well, our view is, they get taken to the cleaners. Don't be fluffy. That's the message. Love people, but don't compromise the message. And the church in the UK desperately needs to hear that today because the more, the more that they become fluffy, the gospel gets watered down and lives don't get transformed. Okay, so I've let the cat out the bag. You know where I stand. <laughs> but let me just say to you, we love people. We really love people. But we cannot compromise over sin. It's grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If we don't preach the truth, no one knows what they need to be saved from. So we have to be clear. But let me just say this. These were the questions that were asked. If you were given a warm, respectful invitation to church, would you come? And by the way, we should invite everybody. Everyone. Regardless of their position or lifestyle. Number two. Would you respond, would you give your life to Christ with a clear, unambiguous message of the gospel? When the statistics came back from the survey, over 2,000 people, um, they were so shocked with the results that they paid for them to be done again. <laughs> but it came back the same. Here are the results. 46% of everyone who was asked if you were respectfully, warmly invited to come to church, would you go? 46% of everyone said, yes, we would more than likely go. 29%, not 29 of the 46, 29% of everybody who was asked, 
If you were given a clear, unambiguous presentation of the gospel and an opportunity to become a Christian, would you do so? 29% said they would more than likely become a Christian. Now, my maths is not great. I scraped through O-level with a C. But I can say this. At current statistics of our population in the UK today, that means that 60, roughly 16 million people are ready to give their life to Jesus right now. 16 million. Now, makes you wonder why the actual figures of how, how the numbers that do come to the Lord, somewhere around 100, 150,000 each year coming to Christ in the UK, makes you wonder how, what, what is the reason why there isn't a greater harvest that so they did in another survey across all denominations. And they came out with the results that those of us who are evangelists have been saying for years, but people didn't want to hear it because it's not a very nice statistic. Only 10% of the church in any denomination, new churches, Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, Anglican churches, whatever church it is, only 10% are doing anything at all about regularly sharing their faith in Jesus Christ with other people. And that's the problem. We've said for years the problem is not with the world. It isn't. never has been. They don't have the message. We have the message. 2 Corinthians 5 says he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. So while we're all praying for a great revival to blow them all into the church, God says, go. Go. I can remember years ago, sitting in a, a particularly famous Pentecostal church in Birmingham. And I can remember sitting around the dinner table together with Don Double, who I was training with at the time. And I can remember the pastor and everything. We're sitting around there. And, and I can remember us telling, I was telling them about some of the stories, some of the people we'd seen saved and healed on the streets. And they looked at me very rather oddly and said, well, we believe those things will happen when revival comes. To which my response as a young 19-year-old who was very undiplomatic, you know, uh, just a young evangelist, I just said, well, revival must have started already then. Because <laughs> it's happening out there for those of us who go. I said, do you go? Well, the conversation was promptly diverted. But, but you know, guys, look, it's incredibly good news, isn't it, that there is a hunger out there Let's take the positive side of that. And let me, just, uh, let me just say this also. That evangelism is both a process and a crisis. The average number of times that people hear the gospel before they get saved, according to all statistics, is about 6 to 11 times. You're always either sowing, watering, or reaping when you're involved in sharing the gospel with people. But the statistics show another interesting thing, and they show this. Whenever there's a miracle, whenever you pray for someone and they encounter the presence of God when you pray, whenever you give a prophecy to someone or a word of knowledge, or you pray for someone and they get healed, or they have a supernatural dream where the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to them, or Jesus speaks in the dream, where they have a supernatural encounter with the power of God, at any level, the greater majority of people jump from point zero, i.e. never having heard about Jesus, to getting saved in a moment. All the surveys say that. Which tells us that signs and wonders, learning to step out and just simply asking people, can I pray for you? 
Do you know, I can tell you in 32 years of evangelism, I have probably only had about 5 to 10% of everyone I have ever asked the question to turn me down. 90% of people have said, well, yes, please. Now, they may be a bit surprised when I say, let's do it right now. But, but, but nonetheless, the fact is that most people are open to prayer. And when we pray, they encounter Jesus and their lives are powerfully changed. So what I want to do right now is this. I want to just look in our next 15 minutes. I want to spend five minutes on three points. Five, you know, five minutes on each point, 15 minutes on our convictions about evangelism. Why we do what we do. Now in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul said this. We all know it well. There are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So I'm going to turn this on its head. I'm going to start with love. And then we're going to talk about faith. And then we're going to end with hope. And then we're going to pray. So here are our motivations. Number one, love. For the sake of our time, I won't read all the context around it. But John chapter 3, verse 16, if you went to Sunday school, you will remember it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Let's unpack it for a moment. God so loved the world. There are four different words in the Greek language for love. Storge, family love. Eros, sexual love, should be between a husband and wife, of course. Phileo, friendship love. You say, I have chemistry with that person. We just get on. We like the same stuff. Okay. But there's one word that's almost non-existent outside of, non-biblical liter- outside of biblical literature. And that is the word agape. And agape means self-denying, self-giving love. It is love that is, that is totally given at the expense of the giver for the good of the receiver. It is the love that is to, to characterize the Christian community. It means that we love the unlovely. That we love each other even if we don't naturally get on with each other. You know what I mean? Okay. So, that's really important, because sometimes church can be a bit clicky. It shouldn't be that way, but sometimes people just gravitate to the folks they get on well with, they, they connect with, and you know, the reality is to totally understand that, but that's not the love of God. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, you're no different to the tax collector and sinner. He says, but if you invite home those who cannot reward you, and may not give the, that blessing in return, he says, blessed are you, and you will receive a great reward on that day. It is this love that is to characterize the Christian community, that we love each other regardless of our backgrounds or whether or not we naturally click or connect. And this love is immensely powerful. It is the motivation of the Father in sending the Son. And let me say that if we want people to be saved, our motivation must be no less. Our motivation cannot be just to build our own church. 
Our motivation cannot just be because we want to make an impact or that we want to, have to note down we had so many converts this year. It has to be genuine love. I find that people who don't know Jesus, when you're out there and you're sharing Christ with people, they see through you like anything. You have to genuinely love. I always pray before I go out to share the gospel, Lord, fill me with your love for the people you're calling me to reach today. Because you know there's some scary people out there. I've had the privilege of leading people to the Lord who are quite violent. I can remember leading a guy to the Lord when in my early years in the gospel. Man, he was a mercenary. When he was sent through for the back of the offices to me, I, my job that day, I was sweeping the offices, sweeping up the, you know, the leaves and whatever. And he came through, he was sent through from the bookshop to me to pray for him, to share the gospel with him. When he came through, I noticed that there was something very different about him. He had muscles on his hands. I didn't know how, how that's possible. <laughs> but the guy was like, a, you know, Sylvester Stallone, you know, on steroids. But he's kind of like this, and he's incredibly aggressive. Very intimidating atmosphere around him. I kind of went to shake, my, you know, shake his hand and then wished I hadn't. Felt like I needed healing afterwards. But anyway, he... He starts talking to me, and he talks to me with such aggressive tones, and he tells me of the stuff he's done. I cut off that. I took that leg off. I cut this. You know, all these horrendous atrocities he's committed. You know, and the more he does it, he's getting closer and closer to me, standing very aggressive. He kind of gives me the feeling he wants to do it to me. You know, so I, anyway, I'm just sweeping, and uh, the more he's going on like this, I just, oh, I see, right, yeah. And then after a little while, he shouts at me. Now, I want to save my voice. But he shouted at me and said, why aren't you afraid of me? Well, the truth is I was a little bit concerned, but I wasn't going to show that to him. <laughs> so in my heart, I turned to the Lord. And I think my, to myself, these two things. One is, no one is born like this. You were somebody's little boy. But sin has got hold of you. Satan's got hold of you. Someone's got hold of you and messed your life up. And all your anger and aggression is just the response to pain. Deep, unresolved pain. Causing confusion, identity, all of these massive issues that come from all of that. And secondly, I put the cross between me and him. And remind myself, Jesus died for the sins of this man. And he loves him. When he shouted at me, I, st I stopped sweeping. I looked at him for a moment and got his eyes and said to him, Sir, I love you too much to be afraid of you. This big tough fella suddenly turns his face away and tears start to come down his cheeks. And I've had the privilege of leading a number of men like this to the Lord over the years. And he's, they've all said the same. How could anyone love someone like me after all I've done? I said, well, you know, sir, the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. I guess you qualify. <laughs> but you know something. I'm not judging you. I just want to say this to you. I said, the Bible says that actually some men commit adultery 
Other men think about it. Some men murder people. Others just hate them. I said, I am guilty as you, were it not for the love of Jesus Christ. And he was the first of many who I've had the privilege like that of leading to Jesus. Well, may I say this, the love of God drives out all fear. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. The fear of man is one of the biggest snares in evangelism you will ever have. The fear of man. Fear in all its forms. Fear that you're going to dry up. Fear that you'll be inadequate. Fear that you won't have the answers. Fear that you don't live up. A sense of shame that you don't live up to what you're telling other people about. But look, guys, we stand on the righteousness of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus alone. It's a grace gift. Amen? Half the trouble in, in believers being passionate for Christ is that they don't truly understand the gospel. Everyone in this room deserves hell. Everyone. The cleanest living person here deserves hell. Self-righteousness is as abhorrent to God as murder. It throws the towel back in the face of God and says, I don't need your Jesus. I'm good enough for myself, thank you very much. People who are passionate for the gospel really understand they don't deserve an ounce of God's forgiveness. But they realize that the grace of God has saved them. And it's the only grounds on which they stand. Whether they're doing well, whether they're doing badly, they stand on the grounds of the righteousness of Christ and His alone. If you don't have His righteousness, you have none of your own. Until we see that, there is little that we can do in having a passion for the gospel. It would all just be about strategies and structures and ways of doing things. But that doesn't produce change. It's the wine in the wineskin that changes people, not the systems. And we need to know the love of God. The love of God drives out all fear. The love of God releases faith. Faith works by love. Think about the love of God for people. When I go to pray for the sick, I don't think to myself, do I have faith for this person's healing? I think, does Jesus love this person? His love is active. Look at the cross. It's not passive. When I respond to the love of God, then faith rises automatically in the environment of love. I want to encourage you to focus on the love of God. Number two, to receive faith, to have faith in the power of the gospel. Romans 10, 13 to 15 tells us that how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? Verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So people have got to hear the gospel in order to be saved. So they've got to know what the gospel is. They've got to love people. And they've got to have faith in the power of the gospel. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, My word will not return to me void or empty. Romans 1, 16 says that the gospel, says Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to save everyone who believes. And the real, there is real power in this incorruptible seed of the Word of God. You and I were saved through the power of that seed being planted into us. It's the DNA of God, 1 Peter 1.23. It imparts God's divine nature into us to make us new creations. That's the power of the seed of the gospel. Let me tell you, this is a bit of an old story, but it's true. A number of years ago, down in Kent, 
in the southeast. I was doing a mission with a United Reformed Church. And I can remember during the day we were hitting the streets, we were doing coffee mornings, we were doing all kinds of things, lunch meetings, door-to-door stuff. And, uh, and by the way, you may think this is a bit of shock for a lot of people. Do you know that Jehovah's Witnesses say if they knock on a door six times, they get a convert? While a whole lot of the church are thinking, oh no, that's old-fashioned, we don't do that stuff anymore. I meet churches up north where churches of two, three hundred, where every single person in that church was led to Christ by the pastor on the doorstep. We just think it's about putting on a really good show in here. But you know, there's always got to be a go before there's a come. Anyway, I'm going along and I'm going up and down that particular afternoon. It was a hot summer's afternoon and it was one of these really long driveways up to an old Victorian house that had steps up to the door. And it looked like, if you remember, when I was a kid, I used to watch Herman Munster. Do you remember the Munsters? It was a bit like that. And I can remember banging on this old door. It creaked open. And there is the, the, the lady of the house who's clearly very nervous about talking to anyone on the doorstep. She creaks the door open and she looks at me. She says, who are you? I said, hey, relax. I'm not a JW. At which moment she threw open the door and said, oh, thank God for that. I said, absolutely. So... So she said to me, well, who are you then? I said, oh, I'm a Christian. She said, what kind? I said, oh, I'm Mr. Hines, 57 varieties. I said, you know what? I said, the truth is there's only one kind, actually, and there's a born-again Christian, and I'm one of them. She said, what do you mean by that? I said, I'm so glad you asked. Let me explain. So I start sharing to her all about Jesus. Well, then I start talking to her about Jesus. Suddenly her husband comes walking down the steps behind her, and he is livid with me that I'm telling his wife about Jesus. He comes at me. He lets off all kinds of profanity at me. And let's just do the BBC tack right now before nine o'clock. He said, you know, as he lets rip at me, he says, you bleep, 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 Christian, (laughs) get off my bleep, bleep, bleep territory, off my house. And he goes to slam the door in my face. As the door comes towards me, I was always taught, if you can't clinch the deal, sow a seed. So as the door comes towards me, I sowed a seed through the gap. And I shouted, Jesus loves you, sir. And bang, I thought, too late. <laughs> and I went my way praying for them. Jesus said, bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. So rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So I went my way following the Bible instructions. I was singing praise to God. I was binding the enemy from stealing the word from them. And I was praying for them, blessing and that they would be saved. Well, the mission came to an end. I didn't see them during that time. But six months later, I was doing a follow-up meeting in that church. Quite a large church. And a bit like here, they've got a platform. It's a bit higher than this one. And I'm down there at the front waiting. And there's the worship group up here. And we come to the last song. I'm waiting to be introduced to speak. I'm standing down there. And suddenly I look up at the worship group. And there's a couple in the group who look remarkably familiar, but I can't quite place them. 
eventually at the end of the service, they come up to me and say, John, we've just come to apologize. We're so sorry. I said, whatever about? They said, well, don't you remember us? I said, forgive me, you look vaguely familiar, but I can't place you. They said, well, six months ago, you came to our house down here, and uh, the old Victorian one, and, and I don't know if you remember, it was a sunny day and everything, and, and you knocked on the door, and, and we slammed the door in your face, we swore at you, and, and told you, get off our property, and, and all of that. I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, I do, I do yeah. And they said, well, look, you know, we just, we want to say sorry, you know. We're, I said, hey, look, don't worry about it. It's not personal. Uh, I said, you know, it's just great. You're here. Fantastic. So God's obviously done something. Tell me what happened to you. And they said, well, you know, if you remember, it's a hot summer's day. All the windows were open. I said, I do remember. They said, well, you know, we went around the front and we watched you to see how you would respond to the way we treated you. We watched you and we could hear you. And he said, and you were still smiling. And you were, we could hear you praying for us. And praying we would know that God loved us. And that we would know the love of Jesus for ourselves. You were praying that we would be released from dark powers that were gripping our hearts. That we would know the peace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And be saved. And then we heard you singing praises to God. He said, and we looked at each other and we said, we swore at him. We slammed the door in his face. We tell him to get off our property. He tells us Jesus loves us. He goes away praying for us and singing songs of praise to God. He said, these Christians must have something. They said, we better go and find out what it is. But they said, but we couldn't face you. So we waited for you to leave town. And they said, but. They said, but the next week we went along down to the church on a Wednesday night and they said, and the door was open and there was a big poster outside saying, Alpha Course on tonight, 7.30. Everybody welcome, come on in. He said, and that night they were talking about who is Jesus. And we went in and they led us to Christ. And today they said, our lives have been radically changed. We're part of the worship team here. We lead a life group. He said, we're on fire for Jesus. They said, we just wanted to say so sorry for the way you treated us. But thank you for sowing the seed in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to have faith in the seed of the Word of God. Share it everywhere you go. Last of all, hope. I said we would start with love, then go to faith, and end up with hope. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, the people without Christ are without hope and without God in this world. It's possible to live in this world without God. That's a dangerous place to live. Satan is the God of this world, and he came to kill and rob and destroy. But you can live in this world with God, in the kingdom of God, through Jesus Christ. There really is hope. The Bible uses the term hope in a way that's different to the way we use it in modern English. We use it with a degree of uncertainty. I hope that we're going to have the nice Christmas tree up. In the main, (laughs) I hope I'm going to get a bicycle for Christmas. I hope I'm going to get an Xbox, whatever it is that you may be looking for. I don't know, but you can't be sure. I hope so-and-so gets better. I hope we get a decent government, (laughs) whatever it is. However, 
The Bible does not use the word hope that way. The Bible uses the word hope in the sense of future tense certainty. The Bible talks about the hope of eternal life. It doesn't mean we hope we're going to make it to heaven. We know we're going to heaven. The hope of Christ's return is the hope of the church. We're not kind of, hope. well, I hope he comes back. You know, the world's in a bit of a mess. No, we know he's coming back. It's certain. It's future tense certainty. And so when we share the gospel, we need to share the gospel with the cross in the foreground and with eternity in the background. We need to be aware it may be the last time that person ever hears about Jesus. So let me tell you a closing story before we pray. This kind of thinking, which is total Bible thinking, by the way, but it marked my life in the very early years of my ministry. I was 19 years old. I had just joined Don. Don was always insistent that we were, as evangelists, we were in the local church at least once a month. The rest of the time we were out, you know, winning the world. So here I was. It's my turn being back home in the local church. I wasn't preaching. I was just part of the congregation. But I grew up in church, and I know what church is like. And I had learned in my late teens to keep an eye out for visitors to church, especially the visitors that no one else talked to. And that's tragic because that should never happen in a church. But it still does. Sometimes people come in and out, and no one except the welcome team has talked to them about anything meaningful in their lives. And really, where the statistics tell us that England is the loneliest nation in Europe, we need to be a bit more clued up to that. That day, the preacher preached. He didn't give an appeal. I always encourage all pastors, all preachers, to give an appeal. You never know who's there. I will in a couple of moments. However, it's the end of the meeting. People are having coffee, tea, helping themselves some biscuits. I see a man there in his mid-60s. Never seen him there before, so I just walked to him and said, Sir, I said, great to meet you. I don't know about you, but I, I was trained by my dad to call a man who's older than me, sir. I believe respect is an important thing in communicating to people. I said, sir, I said, uh, lovely to see you here. I don't think I've seen you here before. Is this your first time? He said, um, yes. He said, it is my first time. I said, I hope you enjoyed the, the service. He said, I did. And he said, thank you very much for asking. I said, a pleasure. And uh, we talked a little, and then I thought, right, I'm going to go for the jugular. <laughs> so I said to him, sir, do you mind if I just ask you a very honest question? He said, no, please do. I said, can I ask you, sir, would you say that you know God personally, that you really, you're sure that your sins are forgiven, that you've experienced his love, that you know that one day you're going to heaven? Would you say that's true of you? He looked at me for a moment, and then he looked down, and he said, in all honesty, he said, no. He said, that isn't true of me, and that's actually why I came to church this morning, because I'm concerned about my future and where my life is headed. I rather hoped that the preacher might give the opportunity for people, but he didn't. I said, well, I'm sorry about that, sir. I said, but what I can say is 
that God is here, you are here, and I am here. And there's no time like the present. <laughs> so, sir, I need to ask you a couple of really important questions. He said, please go ahead. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? He said, I do. And do you believe that he died for your sins on the cross? He said, I do. And here's the big one. Do you believe that God raised him back to life? He thought about that a bit longer and then said, I do. I said, great, you can be saved. But you know something? There's something you've got to do. I call this the ABC of getting saved, of becoming a child of God. A, you've got to agree with God. You need to repent of your sin. Agree with him that you've missed the mark. You know, you've not lived for God and that you want to go his way. So agree with God. Number one, B, believe that Jesus is God's son. He died for you and rose again. You've just testified to that. That's great. And C, you need to confess that Jesus is Lord. Are you ready to do that and to follow him for the rest of your life, sir? He said, I am. I said, good. Bow your head and close your eyes. Right now you're going to meet with Jesus. Pray this prayer with me and mean it. And he took my hand and we prayed and he followed me through the prayer. He gave his life to Jesus. He was wonderfully saved. He went out of the, the church that day with tears and a smile simultaneously and uh, with great assurance that he was forgiven and that he would go to heaven one day. Well, I was thrilled. But the next day I was driving out to do an itinerary of churches around the country. And as if you know St. Hostel at all in Cornwall, there's a fairly steep road that goes from the centre up to where the railway station is and then carrying on out to the A30 and whatever else. As I'm on my way up that hill, I see an ambulance by the side of the road and a whole bunch of people around a body lying on the pavement. And so I pull over, I stop, I get out of my car and I walk down and gently push through the crowd to see if I can help at all. But when I get there, I find the body of the man who I led to Jesus at church the day before. And I was so grateful that I had stopped for the one. Now the reality is I don't always stop for the one and I can only say, Lord, forgive me. But I'm so grateful I did stop for him that day. And he made it into heaven because he went into the presence of Jesus that day. I think it's Dave Carson, the American theologian, who makes the statement, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. This Christmas, is the gospel going to get to your neighbors on time? to your workmates, to the people around these streets here. One church I was asked to go to two years ago, they asked me to come a couple of days before Christmas. We all stood outside Tesco's and gave away free mince pies, you know, the little ones. And you know what? It's amazing how open people are at Christmas. I told the guys, as you give them their tray, I said, you know, hold the tray on one side <laughs> while they take the other side and say to them these words. You know, Christmas is a wonderful time. It's a time for many of us of great joy. But for many others, it's a time of painful memories and great loneliness. I would not have Christmas to be that way for you. Could I pray for you a Christmas blessing? I felt a bit like... 
a bit of an Irishman, can I pray for your Christmas blessing? <laughs> but the truth about it is that I was like, can I pray for your Christmas blessing? Pray that you would know the presence of God in your life, the love of God the Father, His peace in your home, His comforting presence with you. Nine out of ten people said, would you? That would mean the world. One after another, tears would come down and the Holy Spirit would give me words of knowledge for them. People got healed. People got saved. All over a mince pie. May I encourage you to step out of your comfort zone for the sake of love. For the sake of faith. For the sake of hope. For the sake of bringing to people the good news that is found in only one person, one place, Jesus Christ. So, as I bring this to a close, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I said I would, and we're going to do it. It's been, you know, I've been far too long preaching to churches to take it for granted that everyone who's been in church for 10, 20 years is born again. Last year in Lim Baptist in Cheshire, a man called John who had been a member of the church for 30 years and even held most of the positions of leadership in the church, but had never been born again, but was such a nice guy that everybody thought he was. He sang all the hymns, he served, he did everything. He even raised his hands at times, but had no confidence of heaven or his sins were forgiven and could not pinpoint any moment in which he had truly been born again. He gave his life to Christ that day and was also healed of a stroke in which he had not been able to talk or lift his left arm for two years since the stroke. And as he prayed, the prayer of salvation was not only saved, but healed instantly of both. And he ran round the auditorium, grabbing people, much to their surprise, shouting into their faces with joy and tears, I'm saved and I'm healed, I'm saved and I'm healed. Are you saved? Why don't we pray together and make sure for anyone who needs to. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment in prayer? Father, we just thank you for your presence here. And I just pray let your spirit right now touch every heart. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you're not sure your sins are forgiven or that heaven is your home. But I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. If you can remember a time when you love Jesus more than you do right now, and you know you've not really been living for the Lord, you need to come back to him. You also pray this prayer out loud. And last of all, everyone else, let's also pray this prayer out loud and support those who need to for a first time or a recommitment to Christ. Let's say this together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you died for my sins, and rose from the dead. Lord, I believe in you. And I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. I turn from my sins to follow you. Come into my heart. Live in me. Change me from the inside out. Make me your own. A child of God. I thank you for receiving me today. And I will love you and serve you as long as I live. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's just keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed for a moment. What I want to do at this moment, I, I, I need to be honest with you. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you do not confess me before people, neither will I confess you before the Father. So what I'm going to do is this. Jesus called everyone publicly. He's calling you publicly tonight. If you prayed that prayer for a first time or to recommit your life to Jesus, I'm going to count down to three. When I get to the number three, that's your signal to raise your hand as a first step of publicly declaring Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. Here we go. One, two, three. Just raise your hand if that's you. Bless you, 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 bless you. Is there anybody else who wants to join those who've raised their hand already? Just quickly raise your hand and join these others. It'll be a last time of asking. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Wonderful. I wonder if we could all stand together, please, here in the presence of God. And I'm going to ask you to take another step. And the step is simply this. And I want you to go all the way. Please be bold. I'm aware that many of you may have been raising your hand because you prayed a prayer to recommit your life to Jesus. There'll be a reason for that, but it's very important for you to follow through. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you raised your hand or know that you should have done, that you leave where you're standing or where you're sitting, you make your way out into the aisle, and you come and stand right here and meet me here, and we're going to pray together. Just do it right now. Just come. Old, young, wherever you are. Bless you. Bless you. Just come. Young, old, anybody. Just come. God bless you guys. Okay, look, what we're going to do right now is I want to pray for these guys because for, for pretty much most of these guys, in fact, let's just make this clear. How many of you are coming forward? Is there anyone here that this is the first time that you've prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your life? Just quickly raise your hand. Is there anyone like that? Okay, well done. No, that's fantastic. And this young boy here, tremendous. Two first-time salvations here tonight. That's just great. Okay, and so everybody else, this is like a recommitment of your life to the Lord, and you're responding for a reason. And so this is so important. What I'm going to do now, look, I don't know whether we arranged this for this meeting or whatever. I was told this was a meeting, you know, I'm just going to come along and encourage you all about evangelism. But I can't do that without doing a bit. So I thought, well, let's do this. And this is great. And do you know something? Sometimes people think that just because somebody prayed a prayer once, that that was it for them and they were truly saved. But real salvation is demonstrated is that as the person goes on following the Lord, their life starts to change. There comes the fruit of salvation in the person's life. They may take a step of faith here. I can remember in my years with Don Double in the Tenth Crusade in Hales Owen. And I can, it went on for 10 days. And night after night, one lady came forward every single night. And actually by about the eighth day, 
the path, one of the pastors got rather annoyed and went up to Don and said to him, when are you going to stop that woman from coming forward? And every night she responded to something different. And Don looked at him and said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, if I gave an appeal for salvation tonight, would you come forward? He said, no. He said, well, why not? He said, because I have the witness of the Spirit in my heart. I know I'm saved. He said, exactly. And when she has the witness of the Spirit in her heart, she'll stop coming forward too. He says, leave her alone and let her do business with God. At the end of 10 days, her life was dramatically changed. She ended up going off to Bible college and today is a missionary around the world sharing Christ and leading many to Jesus. Guys, just because there are some people here who may be praying what just appears a recommitment to Christ. There may be some actually who are genuinely for the first time receiving the assurance that their sins are forgiven, heaven is their home, and God is their Father. So let me pray for you folks. Well done for coming forward. It's fantastic. And what I'm going to ask right now is, guys, it wasn't prepared this way, but if you pray for people in this church, can I ask you right now, I need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys, nine godly men to come and to stand by each one of these fellas to pray for them personally. I need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven godly ladies to come and pray. Church, let's pray for them. Now, I'm going to just pray for them publicly, and then I want you to take them somewhere. I need another lady to pray for this, this lovely lady at the end here, if that's all right. Well done. Thanks, Audrey. That's brilliant. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I need another lady for this precious lady here, please. Can I have a lady? Thank you so much. That's great. And what I'm going to do here is this. Is as, I, as I've pray, finished praying for this, have you got somebody, love? You have. Brilliant. Okay. All right. What we're going to do is, is this. I'm going to pray over them, but then I want you just to take them to the side for a moment and ask them what it was they were responding for. Why did they come forward? Now, look, you know, it can be, it can be any number of things. Sometimes people respond, you know, to recommit their lives to the Lord because they know that something's gone away in their Christian life. You know, Maybe they've got an issue with unforgiveness. Maybe they've looked at the wrong stuff and they found themselves getting bound up. Maybe they've got guilt or shame. Maybe they've got, uh, I don't know, bitterness against somebody. Maybe their, their prayer life seems to have gone you know, away and they're not reading their Bible. And Maybe they're just not passionate for Jesus like they once were and they feel a bit lost and confused and they just need some assurance and some prayer and some redirection to get back on fire for the Lord. You know, this is a great moment to do what James said, confess your sins one to another, pray for another, you may be healed. And when I was a teenager and I had my own issues in my life with, with sins, I can remember reading that verse and thinking, well, I'm not telling anybody about my sins. Although, my goodness sake, I thought that must be written for Catholics. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But the thing about it is this, you know what? I found that there were some things I couldn't get free from without humbling myself. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we want a move of God in this church. Don't we want a move of God in SCF? We do. God is moving here, but he wants to do even more. Well, I heard the prophetic word earlier. I kept hearing in my spirit as the tongues were coming out. It's a season of new beginnings. It's a time of new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. Not only for individuals, but also for the church. And God is, just, God is going to up the spiritual temperature. And as he revives the church, he will awaken the world around you to Christ. These are just beginnings. What exciting times. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Two of them brand new. 
others recommitting their lives to you. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name, let your spirit do a great work in their hearts right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that for each one, give them the courage to come clean over things that they've been struggling with. I pray, help them, Father God, where they just where they need help. I pray that today they would know the joy of your forgiveness. I pray they would know your deep love and acceptance and the power of the Holy Spirit coming, breaking off change, setting them free, setting their hearts on fire afresh for Jesus. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that each one would leave knowing the joy of your forgiveness and the assurance that heaven is their home, that God is their father, that their sins are forgiven and they are a child of God. Lord, we bless them in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for each one of them. I thank you of a wonderful plan for their lives. And Lord, that you'll never let go of them. Father, we commit them to your care. And I pray that you'd fill them with the Holy Spirit today. And Lord, that they will leave this place on fire for Jesus. And that you would do amazing things in and through their lives. Father, we thank you and bless each one in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Guys, take someone, take them to a side and pray for them for a few moments. Turn them around, sit, talk together face to face and pray for each other. Lord bless you. Guys, while they're doing that, I, I'm just going to do one thing for some of us here who, who may be physically in need of a healing. I'm not getting into a long thing because our time is well gone here. I'm not getting into a long thing of laying hands on people personally right now, but what I am going to do is this, is you've got a physical condition right now. We see so many people get healed by the spoken word. And so I'm going to ask you just to put a hand on your body if you're struggling, wherever it is. If it's a private area, obviously put it on your head or your shoulder or something. But just put a hand on your body. I'm just going to pray for you where you are that the Lord would heal you. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. We thank you, Jesus, that you are where each person is. We thank you for your presence here in the name of Jesus. And take authority right now over infirmity, over sickness, over disease, over pain. I command it right now to go in the name of Jesus. To go in the name of Jesus right now. Be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Be made whole in Jesus' name. I pray for spinal conditions to be healed, to be straightened in the name of Jesus. For arthritis to go and pain to cease in Jesus' name. I pray for deaf ears to open in the name of Jesus. Somebody with a heart condition, let it be healed now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your healing. Somebody with sinusitis, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Sounding the beginnings of a cataract on the left eye. I command it to dissolve and be healed in the name of Jesus. Somebody who's had trouble even swallowing, like polyps or something like that, on your, on your vocal cords. I just command those polyps to dissolve in the name of Jesus and the swallowing function to return to normality in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your healing. Somebody who's been bleeding from the bowel, I command the bleeding to cease in Jesus' name and the condition at its root to be healed now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your presence. I pray that tinnitus would cease in Jesus' name right now as well. Be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. And we give you praise. Somebody's shoulders be very, very stiff, like frozen shoulder. Just command them to be released now in Jesus' name. 
and someone else who's had just like a dizziness on the inside. It's a problem in the inner ear, but it's just brought confusion and disorientation to you as well. I command that to be healed now in Jesus' name. There is someone here also who has been suffering from a measure of depression and fear. Actually, you looked at some stuff that was a little bit dark, occultic, something of that nature, a program. But actually, ever since then, uh, you've had this problem. And you've had one with fear and anxiety, a bit of depression coming in. Sometimes late at night, you have night terrors. I just want to say to you, if that's you, please come, let's pray for you. Jesus wants to set you free. There's even someone here who two months ago, you even contemplated suicide. Please come. Let's pray for you. Jesus will set you free today. He loves you. Now look, I know our time has gone. It's, I've really been naughty tonight. So can I just say, it's 8.30, according to that clock. So I'm going to hand over to Pastor Ben, and Ben's just going to come and wrap things up. But I do want to say, uh, I will pray for you if you need it. So bless you. Ben, thank you for the privilege of sharing with us. Wow. Some guys are going to 